This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now we teach a lot about faith uh, in these uh, healing school classes and and the, the healing school services. And there's a very simple reason for that. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll find that the vast majority, almost 75%, not quite, but just almost, just well, close to 70% of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed on their own faith. Now, we think that it worked differently than that. We, most people in the church world is what I mean by we. Most people have the idea that since Jesus was the Son of God, he had an anointing without measure, and he just went around indiscriminately ministering healing and, and displaying and dispensing the power of God, you know, as he wills and, and that kind of stuff. But over and over again, Jesus said to people that came to him, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Well, now we've got another problem. Because those of us in so-called faith circles, I hate to use that term, but I, I don't know what else to, to call us. People call us uh, faith churches and, and that kind of stuff. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Any church that preaches the word is going to be a faith church. So in my opinion, they're indicting themselves when they call us faith churches. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> but the problem is, those of us that understand something about faith, those of us that have uh, received some teaching about the subject of faith, we've kind of developed our own lingo. And we say things like, stand in faith. Well, faith means so many different things to so many different Christians. How can they relate to that unless they've been where we've been and, and heard what we've heard? Consequently, the Lord is continuously, continuously impressing upon me not to make assumptions that people know what I know. There are so many times where I'll start off and, and, and begin to, to, uh, to teach on the line that, that I feel like the Lord has given me to teach. And again and again and again, I have a witness in my heart. Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a voice. Sometimes it's the Holy Ghost dealing with me very strongly. Stop and back up. So I have to stop and back up, define the terms and so forth. So when, I, when we uh, began this series, How to Stand in Faith, I want to start, I want to cover this from start to finish. Now, you can't do that. The problem is you can't do that because we don't have enough time. Because if we tried to cover how to stand in faith in every aspect of faith, then we'd be here th- through the tribulation, through the millennium, and, and miss out on a lot of good things God had for us in heaven. There's just not enough time to cover everything. But we do want to cover the basics. We want to cover some of the, the foundational things so that people have an understanding of what we mean by faith, so people have an understanding of what it means to stand in faith, people understand why it's necessary to stand in faith, and so forth. So if you'll uh, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start. The book of Ephesians is recognized by most Bible scholars as the most complete summary of church doctrine of any of Paul's letters. There were, um, there were things that he said, for example, about righteousness to the Romans that he goes into greater detail than he does with the Ephesians were concerned. But it's the most concise summary, point by point by point, doctrine by doctrine by doctrine, of anything that we have written. It's a masterpiece. Without question, it's a masterpiece. I mean, Paul was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write all of his letters, but man, this one, I mean, it just packages it up nice and neat, ties the ribbon on there and, and leaves it for us. So, with that in mind, Paul is saying something to conclude his letter in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren. Please notice the words that are most often overlooked in what Paul is saying. Finally, my brethren. In other words, he's saying, I saved the best for last. 
I saved the most important thing for last so that you could have the foundation of the things that I've said before. You could understand who you are. You could understand the grace of God given to you. Now, here's what I need you to know. That's what verse 10 means. Finally, my brethren, what is the most important thing or the the last thing that Paul wants to leave with them in the letter that he's writing by the Holy Ghost? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Folks, my opinion is coming out here, so you judge it for whatever you think it's worth. There is nothing that God wants more in his children than for them to be strong. That summarizes our whole purpose as a church. If you look at our tagline, it's building strong, spirit-filled lives. Why? Because there's too many weak Christians out there. What good does it do if we're not going to be strong in the Lord? What good does it do to say that we're Christians? What good does it do to say that we love God or believe God or, or anything else, any other the, the Christian phrases you want to use? What good is it if we're not going to be strong? There is no hall of fame for weak Christians. But there is a hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 12, of those, or Hebrews chapter 11, of those that were strong in the Lord. That's what get God, gets God's attention. That's what Jesus commended. He said to several people, uh, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He marveled at people's strong faith. Well, I want to be in that category, don't you? So notice what he said. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Please notice strength. A strong Christian or strength as a Christian has nothing to do with you being strong in yourself. Then say word one about you other than you be strong. Well, be strong in what? So you mean go to the gym and work out? Don't be a flabby Christian? Well, spiritually, yeah. But he's not talking about physical things. So what's he saying? He's saying our job is to be strong in the Lord and in his power or the power of his might. Well, that sounds great, Pastor Mike. I want to do that. Well, how do you do that? This is what he's going to conclude. His whole last message or last point in this letter is here's how to be strong. Number one, it's key to be strong. Now, here's how. He tells us be strong in the Lord and the power of his might because... Or in verse 11, we'll go to verse 11. He says, here's the way to do it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, the wiles of the devil refers to the way that the devil attacks you. It's defined or or, uh, translated, I should say, not defined, but it's translated in different ways. One translation says trickery. One translation says deceitfulness. Well, all those are true, but the word originally means the road the devil travels. In other words, it's talking about the way the devil attacks you. He's saying the key to being strong is to put on the armor of God so that you can guard against the way the devil is going to attack you. Now, most people, if you ask most Christians, how does the devil attack you? They'll say, in every way. But that's not true. The fact is, there is one primary way that the devil attacks you. And the Bible says the armor of God will equip you or create a defense for you to be strong against the way the devil operates against you. Paul said in writing to the church, he said, we're not ignorant of his devices. I think too many people are ignorant of the devil's devices. And as such, because they are ignorant of the devil's devices, they don't know how to guard themselves against the way the devil attacks them. So when the devil does attack, they're thrown off guard and they wind up praying and screaming and, and, you know, wailing to God in prayer. Oh, God, why'd you let this happen? Well, he tells you it's going to happen. Where's the surprise? 
Oh, I just don't understand why the Lord let me be attacked by the devil. Folks, let me explain that to you. People say things like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord all about why he let this happen. Don't wait till you get to heaven. I'll tell you now. The fact is, there's a real devil in the world, and the devil operates in a very specific way, and God says, if you're on guard, you can stand against him when he attacks. Folks, if this was rocket science, you and I wouldn't have made it. God made the word simple enough for us to understand. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you put on the armor of God, here's the key to your defense, here's the key to your strength, and that is the armor of God. Now, we'll talk about that in a little bit as we go. But he said, the key to your defense, the key to your strength, is the armor of God. You've got to put it on. Notice he didn't say, let God put it on you. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay, Lord, I choose to be strong. I just put on the armor and and I'll be good. That's not the way it works. It takes effort on the part of the individual. You're going to have to choose to be strong. And the way you choose to be strong is to choose to put on the armor. To determine... As an act of your will, you're going to have to put on the armor. Why? Because the devil has a specific way of attacking you. And if you don't have that armor on, you're not going to be able to stand against the attacks. Then he goes further in verse 12 and he says, For, for, now what's the for doing? It's attaching what he has just said in verse 11 to what he's going to say in verse 12. What did he say in verse 11? He said in verse 11, the devil attacks you in very specific ways. Therefore, you need to understand this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, the attack of the devil is not through people. Even though the devil will use people sometimes, people are never your problem. If you're looking at, if if this person was just removed from my life, everything would be fine. You have missed the boat entirely. You are weak because you aren't prepared for the devil's attack. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but if we don't wrestle or fight against or stand against or work against people, who do we work against? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Because the devil is our problem, not people. Wherefore, verse 13, wherefore, because this is true, because this is your enemy. That means the key to you being strong is to recognize that it's the devil that's your enemy, not people. To recognize the way that the devil attacks you and therefore to be prepared when he attacks. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Just think about this in a military sense. You may not be a military historian. You don't have to be. How many armies would be defeated if they knew where their enemy was going to attack every time? If you knew what your enemy was going to do, where he was going to attack every time that he attacks, if you knew that, you as an uh, an inferior force could defeat superior forces because of your preparation. That's exactly what the Bible is telling you. Here's how the devil attacks. Get ready for it. How do you get ready for it? By putting on the whole armor of God. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. What what is he saying? He's saying, understand how the devil attacks you so that you can make preparations. Folks, preparation is the key to being strong. The people that are weak are the people that wait to make decisions after the devil attacks them. You wait till after the devil attacks and try to figure out, okay, how am I going to handle this? You are behind the eight ball. You are halfway towards your defeat already. But if you prepare ahead of time, preparing for every eventuality... 
preparing for anything that the devil does. If the devil brings sickness against me, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to answer it with the word. If the devil brings financial difficulty against me, what am I going to do? I'm going to answer against the answer with the word. If you prepare for every eventuality, what if my best friend turns on me and says I'm a religious nut? I'm still going to answer by the word. What if my wife divorces me? I'm still going to answer by the word. If you prepare for everything, then whatever the devil does, it'll never be a surprise. And that's what you have to guard against. God is trying to give you information so that the devil can never execute a surprise attack on you. Folks, this sounds too easy, doesn't it? Yet that's what Paul's saying by the Holy Ghost. And he said, this is the most important thing that I told you. In this beautiful letter that tells all about church doctrine, this is the most important thing you need to know. God must want you to be strong. He must want you to win. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. It is much more of a school than any other healing service I'd been to. Pastor Mike goes through the specific scriptures in the Bible that point to the healing power of God. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. If people could understand that God wants them to be well more than they want to be well, that'd make a huge difference. If people would understand that God wants them to prosper more than they want to prosper, that would make a huge difference. And that's why he tells you, here's how the devil's going to attack so you can be ready for the attack when it comes. He didn't say, let's just pray that the devil won't attack. No, he's going to attack. But if you know how he's going to attack, you don't have to be afraid of his attack. Wherefore, since these things are true, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Another translation says you may be able to withstand when evil attacks you. In other words, it's the armor of God. Once again, he's making the point the second time by the Holy Ghost. It's the armor of God that puts you over. It's the thing that enables you to withstand the devil's attack. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. How are we supposed to stand? Well, verse 14, here's the armor. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What does he mean when he talks about the truth? Well, since it's the Holy Ghost inspiring him, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 before he went to the cross. He said, Father, sanctify them, my disciples, through thy word. Thy word is truth. Would Jesus say one thing was the truth and the Holy Ghost say something else was the truth? No. So when he says, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, he's saying, having yourself equipped with the word. Then the next thing he says is, the last part of verse 14, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Where do you find out about righteousness? Wasn't that through Paul's revelation? Isn't that everything about Paul's revelation is that we've been made righteous, new creatures in Christ Jesus? How do you know that other than the word of God? That's the only way you can know. And that's where so many Christians are weak in their lives. They don't know that they're righteous. They don't know that they've been made righteous. They keep trying to be righteous instead of accepting what Jesus did. They're trying to do it on their own through their own works. Saying, oh, if I could just be good enough, then I'd be righteous. No, you're good enough because Jesus died for you. And it's not through your goodness that you're made righteous. It's through the blood of Jesus that was shed for you that you're made righteous. Accept that and move on and you'll be strong when the devil attacks. But in order to get that strength, in order to get that knowledge, you're going to have to know the Word. 
So the second piece of the armor is relative to the word of God too. First piece, truth, is the word. Second piece, breastplate of righteousness, that's the word too. Next thing he says, verse 15, he says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now he's talking about when you're attacked, right? So the gospel of peace, the word peace means well-being. It means the influence of God on your heart and therefore its reflection in your life. It means being able to stay at peace when you're in the middle of an attack. How in the world are you going to get that? That's what we all want. Oh, if I could just maintain peace in the middle of my life, just being in turmoil and the devil doing this and the devil doing that. How do you get peace in a situation like that? The Bible says that Jesus has given to you a peace that passes understanding, but how do you receive it? How do you walk in it? There's only one way, and that is by knowing what the Bible says about your victory. Not being worried about the bombs flying around you or exploding around you, not being worried about the attacks that the devil's throwing at you, but realize, wait a minute, I've got the promise of God, I've got His guarantee that this is going to be the end result if I'll just be strong. In other words, the gospel of peace comes only through the Word. Verse 16. Above all, that means overall, that doesn't mean the most important thing, but it means overall to cover the rest of your armor, taking the shield of faith which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. You can't have faith without hearing the word. Therefore, you can't have a shield unless you know what the word says. So this part of the armor has to do with the word too. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet's part of the armor. Well, why does he say a helmet? A helmet guards your head. You don't wear a helmet on your foot, do you? The helmet guards your head. He says the helmet of salvation. Where do you find out what is included and in, in, in is a part of salvation? There's only one place, and that's the Word of God. He's saying here the same thing that he said to the Romans, renew your mind to the Word. He's saying you've got to renew your mind to the Word. You've got to take the Word of God as a protection for your head. Why? Because that's the area the devil will attack you is in your thought life. But you can't take the helmet of salvation unless you have the Word. The only way that salvation is a helmet to you or a protection or a defense for you is if you know what belongs to you because you are saved. This is the same word that Dr. Schofield says in Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the word sozo. It's the Greek word sozo. Dr. Schofield, one of the great Bible scholars in the Baptist uh, uh, convention, said of this word that it's an all-inclusive term. It means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. Now, Dr. Schofield wouldn't preach healing, but he recognized that the word salvation meant healing. I don't get that, but that's the way it was. So here it says, take the helmet of salvation. This is the same word, Greek word sozo. Take the helmet of rescue. Take the helmet of deliverance. Take the helmet that makes you safe. Take the helmet that makes you sound. And take the helmet that keeps you healed. Or makes you well. How do you find out about those things? There's only one place, and that's through the Word. So the next piece of the armor is take the helmet of salvation. That has to mean the Word. And finally, the last one he said in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Every piece of the armor has to do with knowledge of the Word of God. Every one of them. Therefore, we could back up to verse 12. Or verse 13, I should say. Where Paul said, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. We could say it this way. It would be an absolute correct translation to say, wherefore, be established in the word of God. 
that you may be able to withstand when evil attacks you and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Folks, I want you to understand that success against the devil's attack comes down to one and only one thing, and that is being equipped with and established in the truth of God's word. Period. Jesus told us the same thing. He told us in Matthew chapter 7, he said, I will liken the man that, that uh, uh, the wise man is like a man that hears the word that I'm saying and does them in his life, puts them in practice in his life. The foolish man is like the man that builds his house on the sand. The wise man is like the man that builds his house on the rock. Same winds blow, same rains fall, same floods descend, same storms, same problems. One falls, the man that built his house on the sand, he's the man that hears and does not do the word. But the man that stands through the middle of the storm, in other words, withstands when the evil, in the evil day or when evil attacks you. He's the man that is the doer of the word of God. This is nothing new. It's the Holy Ghost confirming what Jesus already told us. Paul just breaks it down and uses a different example. He's saying every bit of it is based on the Word of God. Now, verse 18. We stopped with verse 17 where we're talking about the, the, uh, the armor. Notice verse 18. Here's what the armor is for. Here's how you can be effective and successful in being a strong Christian. He said praying. First word in verse 18 is praying. I want you to understand something, folks. Being strong and withstanding the devil's attack makes you an expert prayer. Now you tell me something. How much of the church world, present day church world, would you consider to be expert in prayer? Same percentage that are strong in the Lord. Not much. you got a lot of people in the church world that explain why prayer doesn't always work. Get a lot of excuses. Well, you know, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that's what I'll do. But, you know, he didn't mean, he didn't really mean whatever. I mean, we know that he didn't because prayers don't always get answered. Really? When you're praying based on the word, they do. Folks, i got to tell you something. I've been over 25 years since the last one of my prayers wasn't answered. Now, there's some answers I'm still standing for. But it's a very simple thing. And if I can get that kind of success, you know it's not based on intelligence. It's based on one and only one thing, and that is putting the word in practice. Jesus didn't say the wise man is the smart guy. The Bible says, Jesus said the wise man is just the one that builds his house on the rock. You can have an idiot building his house on the rock, and it'll make him wise. I'm glad for that. Because in a lot of things in life, I've been an idiot, but the words pulled me through. So where, where Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost that the key, the most important thing, the last thing he wants to leave with us is to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's saying it comes down to being established in the word. You've got to be established in the Word. Therefore, there is no stand in faith. There is no preparation for faith. There is no faith, period, if you don't have the basis of God's Word. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And you can only know the will of God through the Word of God. No other way you can know. I think a lot of people make mistakes because they try to believe God out beyond their knowledge. That's why it's interesting to me that verse 13 says, Wherefore... Having done all to stand, stand therefore. He breaks it down into two different sections. 
He says you've got to prepare to stand. In other words, do all that's necessary to stand. And then after you do, make your preparation, then you have to do the act of standing. I think a lot of people just try to take the stand of faith without doing the preparation. Now, how do you prepare? Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1. If we know that standing strong, if we know that being strong and being effective in prayer and being effective in walking in victory and, and withstanding the evil, the, the enemy's attack and so forth, if we know that's based on the word, then how do you use the word? If you get Christians, the modern day Christian, if you get Christians to agree with you that far, which is tough. But if you'll get them just to agree that far, that's when they are going to answer, well, then if we're supposed to use the word, then that just means read the Bible. Suppose reading the Bible won't make you a successful Christian. It won't make you strong. Reading the Bible in and of itself won't do the job. But God gave Joshua the key to success. Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. And notice what Joshua is, is commanded or instructed by the Lord in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, this book of the law. Now, please understand, the book of the law, the law, the five books of Moses were the only thing that they had as the word of God at that point in time. Moses has just gone off the scene. He's just gone up into the mountain. God has buried him. And now God turns around and says to Joshua, you're the guy. Well, his first instruction to Joshua should be important then, wouldn't you think? I mean, if I'm Joshua, I'm all ears. If I'm taking his place, Moses is the one that went up onto the mountain that nobody thought anybody could live through. He's the one that got the stone tablets. He's talked face to face with God. He's the one for whom the glory of the Lord has appeared and, and protected him and defended him and, and, and done all kinds of miracles. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. Now I'm supposed to take his place? How in the world am I supposed to do that? So God gives him the instructions. He tells him how. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. I want you to notice, first and foremost, meditating has something to do with saying the word. Your mouth has something to do with meditation, in other words. It has something to do with it. Now, how do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? You know as well as I do that as soon as you say something, it's gone. How do you keep something from departing from your mouth? There's only one way that you can do it, and that is to say it over and over and over again. So, where he says, "Thou shalt uh, this book of the law, this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth, he's saying to Joshua, say it again and 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 again. And when you get tired of saying it, say it again and again and then again. In other words, don't ever let the word of God stop coming out of your mouth. But, and this is God's definition, meditate in it day and night. That means if you speak the word day and night, you're meditating in the word day and night. The Christian life is the best life there is because God has planned so many wonderful things for His children. But the key is to become a child of God. And that only comes through Jesus by believing that God raised Him from the dead and by confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. A simple prayer of salvation would sound something like this. God, I, I believe that You sent Jesus to the earth, that He died for my sins, and that You raised Him from the dead. I therefore confess Him as my Lord and Savior. Thank You for saving me. Thank You that You're now my Father. That's all there is to it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, pray that prayer today. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. My mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV. You have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church. And pastors teaching, you know, it was outstanding on television, but you were kind of shocked by how much more there was when it wasn't just the half an hour, but you know, his full message. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.